Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Post Football. Welcome to Ukraine Plus Football, the number one home for Ukrainian football in English. I'm Adam, of course, from Ukrafoot24, and we've got a special episode for you this week. Recently, we've been talking about the men's team making Poland its temporary home. Now it's the ladies' turn to step up. Luis Cortez arrived to much fanfare late last year, stating that he wanted to help shape Ukrainian ladies football going into the future. He'd only spent one week with the group prior to the November fixtures, which saw a frustrating 1-1 draw in Hamden and a 4-2 defeat in Hungary. The Scotland game was particularly galling given the Scottish equaliser came deep into injury time. Since then, the ladies team impressively won the friendly Turkish Cup in February, just a few days before Russia declared war on Ukraine. Some of the players and the coaching team had returned to Kyiv at that time, but others stayed on in Turkey and have been playing there ever since. The rest of the squad, being the ladies' team, have had the opportunity to be spread far and wide across Europe and have recently reconvened in Poland ahead of these two key qualification games. The ladies will be facing the teams that they faced back in November in the return fixtures. Joining me today, as always, is Andrew from Zoria Londonsk. Ray, unfortunately, can't be with us this evening. And Andrew, what is the mood coming out of the camp in Zhezhov? Are we expecting it to be slightly different for the ladies, given that they've been able to leave Ukraine and find other clubs during these last few months? Yeah, so it's markedly different, you could say. So obviously, when we were talking about the men's, a lot of them hadn't played competitive football for six months, minimum. Uh, Some obviously were playing abroad, and they're sort of the complete opposite in this respect. So obviously, when the... When the war broke out, uh, as you mentioned, a lot of the players were already in Turkey because that's where the national team camp had literally just finished a few days before. Some of them were preparing for the next sort of pre-season bits with Zitlabud 1 and 2, who were going to be playing some friendlies in Turkey, whilst the rest headed back to Kiev, Kharkiv, everywhere else. Some of them uh, obviously were affected uh, initially. Uh, they were, you know, living through the bombings and all that kind of stuff. We saw Luis Cortez take a very long-winded journey from Kiev all the way to Lviv and then over the border. And we saw a lot of, let's say, media coverage of the women's plight um, because maybe they were a bit more um, at the forefront of everything that was going on at the time. And if you compare the squad that played in those February matches, so for example, we've got up here, there were 26 players uh, called up back then. 
uh, and only five of them were playing abroad at the time. Now, if you look at the current squad, uh, similarly 26 or so, only one of them remains at a Ukrainian club. So that's a marked difference. Uh, all of the women, obviously due to the way that the Ukrainian law works, uh, that women and children are allowed to leave relatively freely, have been able to play and join other clubs across Europe. So a m- big majority of them playing uh, in Turkey for Fomget, um, a lot of them, including some of the veterans, uh, Daria Panashenko, uh, we've got Yulia Shevchuk, uh, Shmatko, Derkac and the likes. And obviously the women's game in Turkey is quite well developed. Similarly, we've had a number of other players, um, a few go to Romania, a few in Czech Republic. Uh, Himic went over to Espanyol in Spain. We've also had some of the players who used to play maybe in some different leagues. So, for example, Nicole Kozlova, who was playing in America for a university team, has since joined an actual pro side in Denmark at Herger, and they won the league. So... If anything, you could say that possibly the actual women's squad are in a better place than they were in February. Obviously, nothing in relation to the war um, as a whole, but it's helped a lot of them obviously go to probably higher quality leagues or more competitive ones, you could say, compared to where the majority of them used to just play for Zitlerbud 1 and 2 and they dominated their leagues as it was. So... It'll be interesting to see. And since this camp's begun, um, I think about two weeks ago, week and a half ago, I think everyone's in quite uh, high spirits. They were quite happy to meet up with each other again. Uh, They understand that obviously the focus compared to the men's national team won't be as big, but they've still got um, a very small chance of making... Uh, the final tournament, albeit very small, but I think that they're relishing, I think, the next chapter uh, under Luis Cortez. Obviously, came sort of halfway into the qualifying campaign. Uh, the results, like you mentioned, last November weren't the best. They got some good results in February, obviously, albeit friendlies. But I think they're, they're in a positive um they're in a positive mindset. They're looking forward to these two games, especially them being home in inverted commas in Zheshov, as we've already mentioned. Hopefully there'll be a bit of support there from, you know, domestic Ukrainians that live there. And similarly, I think Luis Cortez is taking this as a, a, another step in his progression as the Ukraine manager, because obviously he's only been for the majority of his career as a club coach. He's still adapting to that national team impetus, which will be slightly different to how he's always been playing. In a recent interview, he said he's slightly worried about the physical conditions of the players, because even though some of them have moved to the European clubs, he says that with the way that um, the season's ended probably about a month plus ago, there's still a concern that potentially some of them might not be as fit as they possibly should be or could be. So that's all going to be um, pause for thought um, ahead of the, the big game against Scotland at the end of this week. Certainly, we is. Certainly, yes. Thank you for that. We're really lucky as well today to be joined by Jack Gillis. Now, Jack is a regular speaker on the Hibernian podcast, Strong Opinion Hibs, where he speaks uh, regularly about the ladies' game in Scotland and naturally 
Hibernian in those cells. Jack, good evening. How are you, mate? I'm very well, thanks. Very well, thanks for having me on. It's um, good to come on and talk about um, Scotland and um, women. Finally, I've not had a chance to be with women's national team that much, so it's good to come on um, and have a chat with you guys. Definitely, so it's great, great to have you here. I mean, be- before we get into the Scottish team nitty gritty, I mean, how has the game been growing in Scotland over the last few years? We've seen this sort of explosion across yeah. Europe. How's it been in Scotland, particularly? It's been massive in Scotland. So, sort of a few years ago in Scotland, you only really had two teams. You know, you had Glasgow City, which is a standalone women's club. So, they were the dominant, successful side in Scotland because they can focus all the resources on women's football. They, they are literally just a women's football team. And Glasgow City, were, they won the league 15 times in a row. This is, that's put it in layman's terms, they won the league 15 times in a row. And then behind that, you had my team, Hibs. Um, Hibs were very dominant with the Scottish women's game, were regularly getting into the Champions League round of 32, winning all the cups. Um, so it was really only us in Glasgow City. But then after the Euros in 2017, and then after the World Cup in 2019, because Scotland qualified for both, and as we all know, Scotland qualifying for things is new and exciting. So you know, we, we sort of went with it. It caused a big explosion in popularity for women's football. And of course, as we know, Celtic and Rangers don't miss a trick. They came along, started throwing loads of money at it. Rangers basically bought a squad. Celtic basically bought a squad. And that then helped the women's game grow. And it's grown massively in Scotland. Recently, we've just signed a deal which meant that the SWP are one and two, the top two women's leagues in Scotland, are going to become part of the SPFL. So they're getting removed from the Scottish women's football um, sort of, if you like, category and getting moved into the SPFL. And we're one of the first leagues in Europe to do that. I think the only other league in Europe where the women's leagues are integrated is Italy. Um, and with Serie A is the same as the men's. So it's structured the same. It's going to be the same in Scotland for the first and second division now, which I think is a huge step. So the club game has been huge. And you've got more sides. Dundee United have recently just come up another big name in Scottish football. Hearts have piled a lot of money in it. Hibs, we've just went sort of professionally. We've signed a lot of foreign players. Rangers and Celtic are again putting more in. And even though Glasgow City, I think, are a bit of a wounded animal right now, they are putting money in it as well still. And what you're looking at is potentially three Scottish clubs, the three big Glasgow clubs doing quite well in the Champions League. So I think the women's game's grown massively in Scotland over the past couple of years. And that really came off the back of qualifying for the Euros and then qualifying for the World Cup back-to-back. So it's been huge, and you're getting loads of great young players coming through in Scotland as well. We've got a massive big youth system. Hibs especially, you know, from my own experiences, Hibs have created a lot of Scotland's top players. Um, your likes of Claire Emsley, Caroline Weir, they've all come through the Hibs Academy setup. Ah, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So listening to you, mate, this game on Friday is going to be huge in Scotland. I mean, what's, what's the buzz like over there ahead of the game? I think for anybody that's a fan of women's football, it's huge um, because... We need to get our momentum back on track. This is like a Scottish golden generation. We don't want to waste it because we qualified for that Euros in 2017, as I mentioned. We got to World Cup as well, and then we missed out on this year's Euros, and that was really disappointing. That was a punch to the guts because we had a what I'd say was a semi-easy group. We had Finland, Portugal, and I can't quite remember who else, and we missed out on that. We got some... I mean, it's typical Scotland. We were winning 1-0 in Finland up until the 89th minute. We missed a load of chances. Then the Finns equalised late on and that's us we drop out the playoff spot now that was doubly frustrating because if we got to the playoff spot we would have played Russia who obviously got kicked out so we would have got a place anyway so it's massively frustrating that we missed out on that playoff because the winner of our pot would have played Russia in that bracket so of course they would they were banned 
and we would have got that place. You know, so it was really frustrating we didn't get the Euros. And I feel we need this World Cup to continue the momentum or else you're going to go into the sort of laps. I feel we're going to the laps that the men's team did of you had a great side, you stop qualifying, and then, of course, you get 20-odd years down the line and you've not qualified for anything. And I'm scared that might be the situation the women's team get into because, obviously, we need that. So I think if we don't get to this World Cup, the next competition is obviously Euro 2026. And I think a lot of our best players be past it by then or coming up for like their twilight years so it's huge for Scotland to continue this momentum as a national team to get to this World Cup and that's it because with the women's team the expectations there with the men's team I feel like we've had an average side for years and that's how Scotland are always going to be with the women's side they're underperforming with the players have got I mean you look at Erin Cuthbert she, she's winning trophies for fun down in England you've got Caroline Weir PFA player of the year Claire Emsley who's recently just been released by Everton, but an amazing player. So we've got so many good players. Um, and we've got um, Lana Cleland and Chloe Arthur playing at the top level in Italy as well. So this is a Scotland team packed full of talent. We should be qualifying regularly. So that's it. We need to use this talent whilst we've got them at their best and qualify for international. So basically, it's vital because I feel whoever wins this game is more likely to get the playoff. I know Hungary are still sort of in the mix as well. The Faroe Islands are off down, you know, they, they've sort of been the punch bag of the group, mm-hmm. um, the Faroe Islands, you know, so I, I think you look at it, whoever wins this game's got in pole position for the playoffs, as we know, Spain have just went racing out in front, because look at the quality of side Spain have, so I think for me, it, it, it's a case of if we lose this, we're possibly out the running, and we've wasted our sort of golden generation, if you like. It, it really is, I'll just... To bring people back at home up to speed with the group, obviously with uh, the Russian war on Ukraine, the the April fixtures were postponed and that is why we're playing them in June. So Ukraine have two games still to play on top of everyone else in the group. They're presently six points behind with these two games in hand on Scotland. So it really is for the Ukrainian ladies team it's a case of two wins out of two. It is a must with the September games for Ukraine being away in the Faroe Islands and then the last one back in Cortez's homeland away in Spain with Scotland facing just an away trip to the Faroe Islands on yeah, the last day. So it's uh, this, this one really is the crunch match. Would you say, Jack, a draw for Scotland potentially would be. I mean, knowing us, it, it it would not be good enough. But I think I'd take a point because I'm honestly, as you mentioned, they came at Hamden. We did not deserve to win that at all. You were very lucky that Abby Harrison got that chance when she did. You know, right at the end. I mean, obviously that game, as Andrew know, I forgot what country I was meant to be supporting was. Oh, crying! So I wasn't really aware that Scotland scored it. But I think we, I think we underestimated Ukraine. I think that's the big problem. Is and you've got a lot of quality players. You look at it. Ukraine was um, competing at the very top in Ukraine before the war. They've went into top leagues in Europe where women's football is well established. I don't think many people would associate that associate that with Ukraine. To be honest, you know. You maybe if you're looking at women's football in that sort of region, it's Poland that are sort of viewed as a sort of because they've got Eva Pajor, Kazia Kajajenic, players like that. Ukraine to me are a team that aren't to be underestimated, and I think that was the problem at Hamden. So I think we would I'd take a point because Ukraine are a quality side and they've won the last time. So it's a game that Scotland take lightly. And what I fear is Pedro Martinez Losa 
come up against a, another Spanish coach, you know, it's sort of, we know how Spanish football can be very sort of uh, pass it around and when the two clash, it cancels each other out. But I think the thing is, Cortes is slightly more of a visionary. I think Martinez Losa plays it safe. Cortes likes to sort of take gambles and, um, and that's what we need. And I think so. To me, yeah, I'd take a point because we were lucky at hand. And, you know, to cut a long story short, I mean, just to go back to that game in November, I'm going to turn to Andrew here because obviously you were in attendance as well. Were you surprised by first of all the size of the attendance for the game and the sort of atmosphere that was created for ladies football, Andrew? Living in the UK, no. Uh, just because I know that, well, the level of women's football in the UK is a lot more developed than it is, say, for example, in Ukraine. Um, obviously, Adam, you've been to a lot of women's matches in Ukraine. Shakhtar, uh, I know you've seen a fair few, few of their games. And honestly, the, the turnout isn't massive there. Even you went to Kolos, uh, didn't you, for when Ukraine played was it against Spain? It yeah, was. and it wasn't the biggest turnout for, for the cold afternoon that it was I think it's obviously currently because of the war etc it's going to set it back even more years of development hopefully under the tutelage of Cortez we we don't know how long he's going to stay for maybe hopefully at least until the next qualifying campaign is over maybe he can instill something in these players you know just to see how Ukraine can progress maybe just from a national team point and then try and work down because I think a lot of the you know the lot of the development in football is usually from the ground up maybe this sort of reverse can somehow influence somehow help um, Ukrainian women's football progress going forward Uh, because it would be interesting to see you know if Ukraine women did make a, a final tournament um, you know, especially if they made it to this summer's one, which, you know, that complete capitulation against Northern Ireland last year, you know, it gets even worse thinking about it now, how how important it would have been. Obviously, people probably in Ukraine have got no intention of watching the current women's uh, Euros mm-hmm. that's going to be in England. But, it, you know, with the paradigm that's going on, people could have possibly got more involved in it and then maybe taken on board women's football a bit more, got to know the team a bit better, got to know everything that's going on, etc. So it's a bit of a shame from that perspective, but hopefully, you know, if Ukraine make the next tournament, obviously it's not written off just yet, but it's looking highly unlikely. It looks it looks very difficult, especially when you compare the fixtures that Ukraine have got, especially with that match against Spain in the final game. They might obviously will probably have nothing to play for, but still could beat Ukraine with probably made their, their third team 4 0, however it is. Um, but and Scotland have got a relatively straightforward one against Faroe Island. So it, it's, it's going to be interesting, but um, hopefully from the next qualifying campaign, we'll be seeing something uh, a bit more progressive. Some of these veterans that we see in the current Ukrainian team, like Daria. Apanashchenko and the likes, they probably won't be there because, you know, they're coming up to 40. How long can they play on for, really? And maybe some of these young, younger players that we're seeing, you know, Anna Petrik, who's been playing in Iceland recently, getting a few goals there. Kozlova is literally just starting off her career in Europe. So she's obviously going to be building up, getting a bit better, hopefully, the more she plays. It'll be interesting, to say the least. But sadly, I feel maybe the domestic game, you know, Zhitlerbud, 
Um, even, you know, the likes of Shakhtar, who were looking promising uh, lot at, the set, at the end of last year. Um, honestly, complete limbo on how that's going to continue. Really is. It's a shame. It's a shame. Let's get back to Friday night, though, because that's what we're all excited about. And Jack, what sort of team do you expect Scotland to put out? And for, for those who are going to tune in for the match, who should we be looking out for? So I think from a Scotland point of view, it won't be overly different to what we played against Ukraine at Hamden, except a few changes. So first of all, Hibs player Rachel Boyle is out because of pregnancy. She's having her second child, so she can't play. So in terms of defence, I'd expect Jenna Clark to come in from Glasgow City for that. Um, she's been, despite the fact it's been Glasgow City's first trophyless season in 20-odd years, she's been their standout player by far. So I expect Jenna Clark to come in. I'd I suspect Jen Beattie probably won't start. Jen Beattie's been a bit of a liability. She, when you came and won the luck um, to Kravchuk at um, Hamden, it was directly Jen Beattie's fault. And I think that's the thing. Ukraine, I've got to say, Ukraine will just focus on trying to get a ball over the top if we've got Jen Beattie because Jen Beattie and Rachel Corsi are both sort of veteran defenders. They're not the most mobile. They're not good at getting caught out. And that's the problem is Ukraine were catching us out quickly. Um, in the last game. So I think the thing is, the defence will change. I expect Jenna Clark to come in there. Potentially Lana Cleland as well. Lana Cleland's obviously one of our best players. I feel every time she comes on, she changes the game. And I think, why doesn't she start? But again, I'm not the coach. I'm not Pedro martinez Losa. I don't know whether it's a, she can't play a full 90 or whatever. But yeah, I, I suspect that will be two changes. Defence, midfield, I expect you know, your usual midfield, Cuthbert, Graham, Weir. You know, that's your bread and butter for Scotland. Erin Cuthbert and Caroline Mir, I'm sure they need no introduction. Of course, Caroline Mir is rumoured to be joining Real Madrid um, soon. She was obviously at Man City, PFA Player of the Year, um, for a, quite a few times when she was playing for Man City. She's played in Spain before with Atleti. You've got Erin Cuthbert, who I mentioned earlier. is one of Chelsea's best players, Erin um, Cuthbert. And then you've got Graham as well, a very good young midfielder um, who holds her own in that midfield. So I don't suspect the midfield will change. Looking at the front line, I think Lisa Evans will um, stay there. Obviously, she was on loan at West Ham. Did okay for them. She's played in Germany before with the likes of Bayern Munich, Tabina Potts, stands to sort of the top clubs in Germany. So Lisa's been around the block. She's an experienced player. I suspect Lisa's staying in. I think she'll be a main threat as well. She's quite an underrated, underappreciated player um, within the Scotland squad. She does a lot of work, Lisa, and it doesn't get recognised, I feel, um, because you're looking at Caroline Weir, who basically runs the show, <laughs> more or less, in that team. But, you know, Lee Simon's sort of one, one of the unsung heroes. In terms of a striker, I, I think Abby Harrison. I, I, I think Abby Harrison's got to start because she's earned it. She's had a great season with Bristol. Um, obviously, they've had a solid campaign. She's one of Scotland's sort of best domestically growing products as well. She was a Hibs player for a good many years. She scored for us in the Champions League. Um, against Bayern, albeit we were 6-0 down at the time, but it's, it's still a goal um, for when Hibs are playing Bayern in the Champions League. So she's got that experience there. And then the only change I can see is making an attack is Claire Emsley's back. So I think um, Claire Emsley will replace um, Christy Grimshaw. Grimshaw plays her um, AC Milan. She's good, but she's young. I think Claire Emsley's got that more experience. Claire Emsley's your flair player. So I think Claire Emsley will come in there. And in terms of a Scotland player to look out for, I've got to say it's got to obviously be Caroline Muir she's the threat you've got to neutralise. Because if Caroline Muir gets given free reign in that midfield, she's going to cause big problems. Um, very much a box-to-box -box midfielder as well. 
that she's got that football brain. I say this about players. Caroline Wheeler's got that football brain. She can spot the incisive passes. She can unlock defences. So if Ukraine fail to neutralise Caroline Mir, they're in big trouble. This is why I think we're going to see the the 4-1-4-1 from Ukraine in particular. When I was looking over sort of Cortis's reign, he sort of flitted between the 4-3-3 and then with the wide players dropping deep. And I can see that holding midfielder just sitting there looking to to just restrict space to work because I mean, there's a lot of turnover, even at international level in the ladies game, a lot of turnover of ball. And you restrict the space, it is quite hard. When I was even watching the Spanish team that you know we're all very impressed by, you block the space. And for the first hour of that game, um, the Spanish really struggled to break Ukraine down. Had a lot of the ball, but couldn't find the killer pass. Um, I think we'll see that sort of setup from Ukraine, first of all. Kozlova and Ovdichuk are really the key creative players for the team. They'll be out wide, but they do work hard in their defensive duties and they will be tracking back, but being the, the attacking players that they are. When we need the goal, you'll see the switch. And especially during that tournament in Turkey that we spoke about earlier, there seemed to be this passion of Cortes to flip between the two formations and, OK, we need the goal, let's go get a goal. And as we've, we've both said there, Jack, uh, this game is kind of key for the group. So the last thing Ukraine wants to do is what they did in Hungary back in November and concede a couple of early goals and be out of the game in the first 10 minutes. That's the last thing, I think, from Ukraine that we particularly want to see on, on, on the, this uh, Friday night. For those in the UK, is the game accessible? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's on BBC. Um, it's so on BBC Alpha because they've got all the rights to the Scotland women's game, BBC Alpha. So you can, for people that don't know how Scottish TV works, if you go on the iPlayer, you can opt to listen to it without yeah. Gaelic commentary. So you can have it with the Gaelic commentary on. Um, and then it also has different summarisers. I've got to say the English version, Leanne Crichton, she's brilliant, um, ex-Glasgow City player. So definitely recommend listening to the English version as well. Or if you learn, want to learn some Gaelic, then listen to the Gaelic version. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> uh, I think back in, for those in Ukraine or elsewhere, YouTube will probably be the best place to to access the game. It will be available through various uh, sites as well, but those won't be known until closer to kickoff. Uh, we have spoken a lot about the Scottish game this evening, of course, because as you'd expect with our wonderful guest Jack, what we mustn't forget as well next Tuesday, um, there'll also be the game against Hungary, also in uh, Zhezhov, which will be an evening kickoff as well. Andrew, are you optimistic after this? For the, for the match on Friday? I think it'll be interesting to see. I feel that it will depend on the mentality of the players. Obviously, I think they're up for it. A lot of them have had new experiences over the past three months, you know, in comparison to, say, how the men's players have had to deal with it, with some of them not playing so regularly and all that kind of thing. If they get into the mood of it, uh, yeah, they were much the better side against Scotland back in um, back in November. So they possibly could give them a good game. 
obviously this one's a home game per se as well. Hopefully a bit of support going on in Shezhov for for the women's team. It is a evening kickoff, 8.15 local time in Poland. So, I mean, you'd hope some people would, would go down there for a Friday evening, see something a bit different will be interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I could see possibly getting a possibly getting a narrow win would would be nice, but likewise um with the way we saw say them capitulate against Hungary in the very next game uh in November as well, I'm not keeping my hopes up uh just yet. Um obviously this team's actually a bit stronger because they've got Kozlova back. Um, they've got a few others that missed the game in November. So, you know, the odds are there just whether they can possibly uh, go all the way and somehow sneak into that second spot, uh, much much to probably Jack's detriment, um, I think might be slightly difficult. But, you know, they've got the motivation. Um, Luis Cortez said that we are playing, you know, for to give a bit of respite back home as well for anyone who will be watching. Um, so it would be, would be cool to see. And similarly, uh, qualifying for a tournament, you know, next year would be massive. Uh, the World Cup, nonetheless, not just the Euros, but it would be, you know, put Ukraine on that big stage. The men weren't able to do it. Maybe the women can just about, but certainly um, everything's against them in this one with uh, the amount of points they need to get back, uh, the preparation, all that. But... Um, I'll be looking forward to, to Friday's game and certainly um, next Tuesday's if if Ukraine will win um, the first match. I'm going to go for 2-1 on Friday night. I'm going to put it out there. <laughs> Jack, how about you? I've got to go for a Scotland. I'm going to say 1-0 Caroline Weir um, to clinch it with a late goal. Well, we wish you the best of luck. We do. We, well, maybe not the best of luck, but we hope you enjoy Friday. Despite the, result. <laughs> Despite the result. <laughs> but Jack, I mean, thank you so much for joining us this evening. We really, really do appreciate it. For uh, people listening at home who want to find out more about the ladies' game, where would be the best place for them to connect with you on the social medias? So, obviously, um, best place for me to get all the women's football updates, something like that's um, Twitter, at Jack Dillis 6 so capital J, capital G, no spaces, 6. Um, and then you can um, follow my podcast that I'm on as well, strong underscore all underscore Hibs, because we are the only Hibs podcast at the minute that covers Hibs women regularly, and a big season coming up, so if you're interested in women's football, get involved, because Hibs women will be challenging for Champions League, and potentially a cup in Scotland as well, so please follow the podcast if you're interested in women's football and um, apart from that you can add me on Facebook Jack Gillis because I put stuff on there as well as Andrew knows he's probably fed up of seeing it <laughs> at this point so yeah um, it'd be great if people could drop me a follow because I'm trying to grow what I'm doing and um, get the message about the women's game out there and we appreciate your work we really do Andrew been a great little episode tonight I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have yeah, absolutely. Um, the football never stops, as we say. It's, uh, you know, the men's season finishing, the women's national team playing for a bit there and everything else going on. So, yeah, stay tuned, guys. Um, hopefully we'll have some more updates regarding, obviously, not just the women's, but the men's game and everything else that's going on in between over the summer. So um, hopefully some exciting and unprecedented times coming up um, from a footballing perspective, to say the least. Certainly is. Well, that's it for today, everyone. Until next time, stay safe and 
goodbye for now. Bye-bye. Oh.